Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Thursday, December 23rd, we are studying Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 12. The Old Testament is a rich history of the variety of ways that the Lord gave his word to his people through the prophets. But now his son has come in human flesh. In these last days, it is through Jesus that God has spoken to us. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Ryan Agrotowitz. Pastor Agrotowitz serves as associate pastor and headmaster at Grace Lutheran Church and School in Brenham, Texas. Pastor Agrotowitz, welcome back to Sharp Ryan. Thank you, Pastor Apple. Good to be here as always. We are looking at Hebrews chapter 1 today because that is the appointed epistle reading for Christmas Day in the three-year lectionary. No matter what year of the three-year lectionary it is, you hear this reading from Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 12. Pastor Grotowitz, what does this section of Hebrews have to do with Christmas? This section of Hebrews is, is all about Jesus, particularly the person of Christ. Who is he? So on Christmas Day, we rightfully remember and celebrate the birth of Jesus. We are hearing the text talk about him as he is a baby. <clears throat> of course, him being placed in the manger, um, that's always a, 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 a big deal around the Christmas season when we hear that story about his birth and so forth. So the birth of Jesus, we see him as a baby. And when we think about a baby, we think about a baby that's crying and needing things and, and very dependent. Well, we can't forget that Jesus, who is true man, is also true God. And this text here in Hebrews, along with John chapter 1, the gospel lesson appointed for this day, really describes who is Jesus. As an infant, when he's nailed to the cross, who is this Jesus? True God, true man. And what has he done for us? That's another uh, act that this text uh, puts forth before us, and that he makes purification for sins, and then he ascends to the right hand of God. So after reading a text like this in Hebrews, there should be no confusion over who we are celebrating on this Christmas day. Uh, the birth of Jesus is in the air, as it always is in this blessed season, but let's remember this baby is our Lord and our Savior, true God, true man, who would, would ultimately go to the cross, suffer, pay for all sins in his bloody, gory sacrifice, but rise on the third day and ascend to the right hand of his Father. And he is not to be confused with angels. There is a very sharp distinction between Jesus and the angels, and I trust we'll get into that more as we go through this wonderful text. But for now... Um, yeah, a very short answer to your question. It's describing who Jesus is and his person, true God, true man. And I think we'll unpack more of that as we go on. 
I think of when I think of Christmas Day, this this text and combined with that John one text that you mentioned, I really think that those those two texts in particular are very helpful after the the wonder, the excitement of Christmas Eve. And I think this is true, you know, in the in the worship life of many congregations, there's that kind of buzz in the air on Christmas Eve, particularly if there's a you know, there's a, a children's program involved. But and that's usually when the, the church is very full and there's just there's this great excitement to to go with the shepherds to see the baby in the manger and, and know that it is the Christ child even on Christmas Eve. But when you get to Christmas Day, it, it's as if these two texts really allow for that that reflection on, okay, well, there was all that excitement, but, but why? What's the big deal about this baby in the manger? And I think both both John 1, and as we'll look in Hebrews 1 today, really provide that, that opportunity for a, a bit of, I don't know, rest on, on Christmas Day, an opportunity to, to just uh, revel and marvel at the fact that that God has become man and he's done so for me. So I, I, I don't know, that, that's always the impression that maybe it's because I'm a, I'm a pastor and by Christmas day, I, I know that that's my last sermon for a while. And so I'm, I'm feeling that rest, but that's, I, th- I think the, the worship life of the church you know, moves us in that direction, that there is this rest and reflection that happens on Christmas day as we consider who this baby is, true God and true man. Well, sure. And you know, any, any, any woman who has had a child after the child is born, um, it, it's it's a great climactic moment when the child comes into the world, and you know when the child is is given health and everything is going smoothly, as smooth as these things go, um, it is a time to breathe a little easier. It's done. She's carried full term. She's given birth, and now she can breathe a little easier. Now, that's certainly not to say there's not going to be a lot of work, but she can marvel at her child, right? She can hold this little baby, look at this baby. She's made it through the pregnancy. The baby has been delivered, which is a very painful process, but the Lord has taken her through it, and now she can just hold this child and look. I've got five children, and I'm very thankful to my Lord that they were all given healthy births. And that, that's a great blessing. And even when my wife was just tired and just worn out, when she would hold that baby and look at that baby, it was just this overcoming joy. Uh, the, the pain is not a big deal. The fact that she has a baby in her arms, that is the big deal. And I think this compares to what we're talking about here. You have the excitement of Christmas Eve, the buzz going on, shepherds, angels proclaiming, all this stuff, and then you hit Christmas Day where we can reflect now on what, uh, well, I mean, if we've been to church on Christmas Eve, we can reflect upon what we heard then on Christmas Eve while sitting in the pew on Christmas Day, hearing a text like John 1, Hebrews 1, describe for us, okay, this child that has been born, this is who he is, lest we forget, let us worship, let us praise this Jesus is God with us, Emmanuel, uh, who has saved us, rescued us from our, our horrible sins that we continue to make, but he has saved us, and we can, can and should revel in that great gospel proclamation. 
So Hebrews 1 is going to help us to do that. One of the challenges of this series, Pastor Grotowitz, is jumping from one epistle to the next, sometimes without the full context. And obviously we're not going to read the whole epistle to Hebrews, but we do have the introductory text for it. Just when you think about the epistle of Hebrews, what are a few things that we should know as we that'll help us kind of get a, a better feel for what he's, why he starts this way in chapter 1? Well, the book of Hebrews, generally speaking about it, I have always found it a very theologically dense and rich book. Um, The writer, whoever he is, we don't know for sure. There have been guesses over time. But the writer has a very in-depth understanding of the Old Testament, the nature of sacrifice and the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. And and certainly uh, he knows about Christ. I think he knows the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John by this point. And to start this way with a foundation of who Jesus is, I mean, it makes a lot of theological sense that if you're going to talk theology first, let's know who God is and how God has saved us. But, you know, reading Hebrews and hearing how much he talks about Christ, sacrifice, faith, it's no surprise that he would start here with, in whom do we have such faith? Or by whom is the sacrifice made that atones for sins? And that's going to be Jesus, so he'll start at that point. Describe us who Jesus is, and that's going to serve as a great foundation for the rest of this this very rich, theologically dense, but very rewarding book. Mm, yeah, I've heard some call the, the letter to the Hebrews uh, a sermon. And I think, and we, we talked a little bit about this, we studied a text from Hebrews 10 with one of the Advent epistles. It was Chaplain Denzer at the International Center talked about how, how in the book of Hebrews you get these various sermon texts. And that's really going to be apparent in our in our text for today, because we're going to, I mean, he's going to be jumping on kind of all over the place in the Old Testament, making a point about who Jesus mm-hmm. is. So we'll have an opportunity to explore that together. Again, we are reading Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 12 this morning. The text reads, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, He makes his angels winds, and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will have no end. That is our text for today. That's Hebrews 1, verses 1 to 12. And again, that is the epistle reading appointed for Christmas Day. 
Pastor Grotowitz, before we go through the text in detail, just give us the overall sense. What is the writer of Hebrews saying in this section? He is telling us who Jesus is, highlighting his divine nature, that he is true man and true God. And when I say highlighting his divine nature, that, that's not to say, you know, one, one um, uh, nature of Jesus is more important than, say, his human nature, but he really makes it clear to us that this Jesus, this man who is hanging on a cross making purification for sins, is uh, also true God. And he does go into uh, angelology, we may, we may say, in the sense that he's going to make a, a very sharp contrast and distinction between Jesus and the angels while making the point of who Jesus is. You know, we cannot confuse him with one of the angels. He's, he's higher than that, different than that. He's God's only begotten one, the one whom we are to worship and to praise, the crucified Savior, who's also the risen Savior, seated at the Father's right hand. So there's really no confusion, I think, where he's going in these 12 verses. He's just really pushing home the idea of uh, who Jesus is, how we should see him. The Church has, you know, for a very long time, confessed the person of Christ to be true God and true man, uh, fully human, also fully God. And for any here listening to this who wants to know more about this, about the person of Jesus, there's many good books out there. Martin Chemnitz is very good in The Two Natures of Christ. That's a little heady. It's a very in-depth read, The Two Natures of Christ by Martin Chemnitz. Of course, the Book of Concord is good, but I would even go... um, more, more basic than that, shall we say, go to the Nicene Creed and read the Nicene Creed, describe our Lord Jesus Christ, and um, above and beyond that, the Athanasian Creed also describes the Holy Trinity in the person of Jesus. And hearing these very careful, detailed, but theologically sound articulations of the person of Jesus will help as we dive into a book like this, where Hebrews just buttresses and supports what we confess Christ to be, which again, um, same substance as of the Father, full of grace and truth, true God, begotten of the Father from eternity, but also true man born of the Virgin Mary. That is our Lord. And that last part, that's not from the Nicene Creed, but that's from the small catechism. Um, and, and let me insert that as well. Uh, should a reader pick up the small catechism and you read the, the second article of the Apostles' Creed, when you look at the meaning of it, the meaning is, I believe, that Jesus Christ, true God, okay, begotten of the Father from eternity. Well, that's straight out of here from Hebrews. And also, true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord. Uh, that's how that part begins. And that is, that is fresh on my mind, because we are saying it here as part of our memory work this week. And I'm glad we are, because it plays such an important part in this discussion when you are looking at Hebrews and hearing the biblical text say what we confess and what we believe. So... That's what the writer is, is putting forth before us in these 12 verses. I'm, I'm glad you added the second article of the Creed and the explanation and the catechism, because that's where my mind was going, too, as another fantastic and very simple explanation of what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. And I think you're, you know, you're right. He's, he's certainly emphasizing the divine nature in Christ in this text. But just thinking through other parts of the book of Hebrews that I know, there are other places where he's going to focus much more on the the human nature in Christ, that, you know, that he had to be made like us in every way. Those are That's going to be the language of Hebrews as well. So right. again, 
and we see why this shows up on Christmas again, so that we know that, hey, that baby in the manger, you know, he doesn't maybe look like God to you, but he is, and you need to know that. So that's why this text shows up here. But the fact that he is a man is is just as important for Christmas and, and really for our whole lives as Christians. Yes, yes. And, you know, and, boy, I can't speak for everybody, um, but, you know, you kind of alluded to this point when you're looking at a baby. I mean, my goodness, they're so cute and cuddly. It's easy to lose <laughs> sight you know, who the baby is. So I, I, I'm very happy and pleased to have a text like this, right? Because this is a time on Christmas day. And we talked about this earlier. We need to hear uh, what God says about himself, how the scriptures testify about himself. And by faith, believe in what God is saying about this child, Right and not use our eyes to say, "Oh, it's just a cute little baby." Well, that that's all fine and good, but let's also bear in mind that this child born of the of the Virgin Mary is also the Savior of the nations who has come to save us. And that, that's a point that that you know we can we can certainly miss on that wonderful Christmas day, and we can't hear it too often. Mm. So the text that that we've got today begins with I, I think words that are fairly well known. They're in they're in at least one of the services in the Lutheran service book. That, and it talks about how God has spoken to us. And the writer starts by comparing the way God has spoken in the past to now the way that God has spoken in his Son, in this, like, uh, maybe I can use the language that he uses later, in this once-for-all final way. Help us into this introduction of the book of Hebrews about how God speaks to us. Sure. On a very basic level, he's always using people. We see that in the Old Testament, and we see that in the New. So that's one thing to, to highlight here, God using people and speaking through them and using his voice. You know, and I think this is a very important point to, to teach the people today, because now God still uses pastors, and the pastor is to speak God's holy word. A pastor will even pronounce the forgiveness of sins, but the people have to, to bear in mind, this is God using that pastor speaking through the pastor uh, to give his gifts to the people. Same thing in the Old Testament, where it says here clearly he was speaking through the prophets. And just reading the Old Testament, uh, that that comes out very easily. I've always found it very interesting when you're reading a prophet, and it's, it's clearly the text begins with the prophet speaking, but somewhere in the middle it shifts to this first person language of God now speaking. And that that's not uh, a coincidence, but it's a good teaching moment to see that in the prophetic books, the prophet speaking is going to be God speaking when the prophet is sent by God himself. So that's in the Old Testament, this this doctrine of inspiration, that the, the speakers and writers are inspired by God as he speaks and works through them. Now, when you get to the New Testament, one thing Jesus is going to do in the Gospels is... Uh, speak about Moses, speak about the Old Testament, but when he speaks about it, we need to pay attention to what he says and observe what he is saying, because how he handles Moses, how he handles the Old Testament is, of course, the right way of handling and speaking that inspired word. One example I'm thinking of here would be the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus really explained, for example, what does it mean to really be angry, or what does it mean to commit adultery? I mean, don't read the Sixth Commandment and think it's just something with the hands when Jesus says it can be a matter of the heart. So hearing the Lord Jesus Christ speak about the Old Testament and seeing the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus, through the words of Jesus himself, so that when we get to Matthew 28 
and we hear him tell his disciples, uh, make bat, uh, disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Well, we should do the same. We should observe everything that he has said that we find primarily in the Gospels. And, um, and, and when we look at the Old Testament, keep that in mind. God speaking in the person and work of Christ, we listen to him, because that will really shape how we see the Old Testament. I mean, this is really probably a podcast unto itself, but when you think about the Transfiguration, and there's Moses and Elijah and Jesus present at the Transfiguration, and Peter, uh, not really knowing what to say, says, well, I'll build a tabernacle for for, uh, you, Moses, you, Elijah, and Jesus, I'll build one for you, and then the cloud the voice comes, this is my beloved son, listen to him, okay? And that doesn't mean we don't listen to Moses any longer, but we want to keep things in the proper perspective. That is to say, read Moses and read the Old Testament, but always read it with Jesus in mind. What has Jesus said about the Old Testament? Well, he says it testifies to him. He says this clearly in Luke 24 and and other places, that these scriptures are pointing to him, Reading the Old Testament apart from Christ and apart from his word um, is not going to get us far. We're going to be legalist, and we're going to um, you know, maybe uphold the sacrificial system, keep having dietary laws and so forth. So there's really a lot embedded in these first two verses in Hebrews about how God speaks. But even us today, hearing God speak through his Son And I'm trying to be clear here to say that does not mean we're not going to listen to the Old Testament, and we just need to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's not what the writer is saying, but when we read the Old Testament, we see it through the lens of Christ. What has he said um, when we look through the Gospels? How has he spoken? And that should shape, influence, and even direct how we read the Old Testament. That is still the inspired Word of God, but we read it with and in Christ having him in mind when we, um, you know, hear him speak. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, I appreciate the way that you're trying to be careful about this, because we don't want to, to say something that, that this text doesn't say. And I, I wonder if, if we, you know, knowing this is the Christmas Day epistle, and the gospel reading for this day is, is John 1, which starts very famously, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So, I mean, that the way that John speaks of the Son of God, who's that's who we're talking about, Hebrews 1, as the Word, I think connects that, you know, I mean, all along it is it is the Son who is speaking in the Old Testament. And, and as the writer here says, you know, he's doing that in many and various ways. But now at this critical juncture in history— He's spoken to us by his son, and, and I, I don't know, I don't, I don't want to go too far, but he's spoken to us by his son through this, through this incarnation, through the, through the becoming flesh, the way that God has taken on our flesh. That's the, the f- final revelation of who God is, such that, and I, to try to draw it back to what you were saying, such that if, if you want to know what God thinks, you, you have to look at Jesus, and, and that's how you un- understand the Old Testament and New Testament alike. So in that way, it's again, we're not throwing out the Old Testament, but we are saying that you won't understand the Old Testament unless you rightly, unless you see Jesus and hear Jesus ultimately. That is precisely right. I, and I do think the writer of Hebrews is turning us to that historic place in time of the incarnation, the birth, um, even the crucifixion of Jesus, those acts in historical time are extremely important, though 
Christ is everlasting to everlasting, as we boldly and rightly confess here, when it talks about God speaking through his Son, we should pay attention to the things that happened on, on a timeline in history and so forth. To your point, too, about the Old Testament being misunderstood or confused without Christ, this is exactly what Jesus is going to confront when he says in John, I think it's chapter 5 and going by memory here, when he says, you search the Scriptures because in them you think they, you find life, but it is they that testify to me. And of course, he's talking to Jews who don't believe. You can search the Scriptures but deny Christ, you're still going to miss the point. And, and that too, you know, I think the writer of Hebrews is trying to convey to us, that he speaks through his Son. When you're reading the Scriptures, you're hearing God speak about Jesus, point to Jesus, testify to him. And if you lose that, it is so easy to walk away, reading the Old Testament. Uh, for example, you read the Ten Commandments and think, aha, well, this is what I have to do and live by them. That's going to put you in one of two places, the places of pride, because you think you really are pulling it off, or a place of despair, because you failed and you know it. And without Christ, without God's mercy in Jesus, you're really left at a dangerous, depressing point. I've tried the law, but I cannot do it. And now I have nothing else to do but to despair. And of course, that's not where we want to be. Mm-hmm. No, not at all. One one thing, Pastor Grotto, would say, I think we should make clear because I'm pretty sure it's it's in the background of what you're saying. But I want to make sure it's explicit. When when we think about our lives as Christians today and how God speaks to us by His Son, how does that happen? <laughs> and I think what what I'm hearing you say it's it's through the Scriptures and the the correct preaching of them. But I, I want to make sure that we have that clear. What does it mean for us to listen to his son today? Well, yeah, we need to make that clear. It, it's it's something that, you know, I certainly do believe that God's voice, his word, you find in the pages of Holy Writ. So much so that in a common discussion, you know, it's easy for me just not to bring that out. But we need to bring it out. How does God speak? Because we, we're in an age of... Um, a real rampant anti-material when it comes to God's activity. You know, God is something so different and distinct from creation. He's not going to use creation to communicate himself to us. Um, and may, maybe some sort of Gnostic thought would be would be in line with what I, what I just said. Um, but whatever the case, God speaking directly into our hearts, with Luther, Luther called enthusiasm. God in, or God within. And the dangers of that are many, because the devil can also tempt us, and when it comes to hearing voices, our feelings are very fickle, and our flesh is all over the place, and that's a very dangerous way to be. When I talk about God speaking through his Son, I'm not talking about some sort of direct revelation from God apart from the Bible. And I I do want to caution any hearer who may be caught up in that kind of thinking, that I feel, I feel this way, therefore God must be saying X, Y, or Z to me. That's not a foundation of certainty. It's not a foundation at all, because the foundation is yourself and your feelings and you looking within. God speaking through his Son, you see that on the pages of Holy Writ. You see that in that holy text that God has preserved he has preserved his word, he has put it on paper, and now it's in your hands. And you can hear him speak every time you open, and you hear his word as you read the, those pages of Holy Writ. 
again, God has preserved that, and he passes it on, and we are to hold on to it, and, and know, know with certainty that when God says something, he will not change his mind, and he has your best interest at heart, and you don't have to guess. I mean, the Bible takes out all the guesswork. There is no confusion. You can just see right there God speaking through his Son, working and acting through his Son as you go through the Gospels and you move into the Epistles. It's all right there. I mean, my goodness, even through the Old Testament. I mean, once you, you read uh, the New Testament and then you start reading the Old, then you go back to the New, it really is amazing how much an understanding the Old Testament can shape what you read in the New. There is God's voice for you. Read it, memorize it, confess it. It's great, because now you're not looking in all the wrong places to hear God speak like yourself. God be praised for preserving his word that we might know the good news of his son, Jesus Christ. We're going to be looking at that word more on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron this morning on KFUO. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, December 23rd. We are studying Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 12 with Pastor Ryan Agrotowitz. He serves as associate pastor and headmaster at Grace Lutheran Church and School in Brenham, Texas. Pastor Agrotowitz, prior to the break, we're looking at these first couple verses where God says, in the, la- in the former days he spoke in many and various ways by the prophets. Now in these last days he's spoken by his son. We still have that word recorded for us in Holy Scripture. The writer continues with who the Son is. So in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he, whom God appointed the heir of all things. What does it mean that Jesus is the heir of all things? Well, all things have been handed to him by the Father uh, without restriction or reservation. So he really does have the whole world in his hands. All authority has been given to him. And there are numerous statements elsewhere in the Bible that supports what the Hebrew, the writer of the Hebrews is saying, right? right here. Um, so, you know, he will come to judge the living and the dead. And this is another, another way of referencing, uh, you know, as he is the heir of all things, um, he, is, he is also true God, uh, governing, managing all things. And going back to, you know, when we look at that little baby or think about the baby Jesus on Christmas Day, he is still ruling the cosmos. He is still governing all things managing, ruling, however you want to talk about it, because he is true God. He is the heir who has received the only begotten son. We might also think that term heir, um, you know, of a father giving his son all things, his estate, if you will. Um, I don't think that analogy is perfect, because, you know, of course, the, the, the father doesn't die who gives Jesus all things. But as an heir, he rules and he reigns. And um, we reign with him. That's another aspect to that. We're, uh, we're, we're, we're co-heirs with him in the sense that as he lives, so do we. Uh, we possess all things in him. So it also is um, a, good, a good thing for his church, that as he rules and reigns, um, we, we, share, we share our life in him when we, 
when we rise from the dead and be where he is and, and share in the good things that, that he possesses even now. So there's really a lot in that term error uh, that we don't want to we don't want to just kind of jump over. And again, reflecting and remembering who who is Jesus. Okay, uh, I mean he he is is the one still ruling the cosmos. There really is something to the song. He's got the whole world in his hands because he, he surely does. That's right. Oh, and, he, and he's got the whole world in his hands because he's the one through whom the world was created. That end of verse 2, you have an echo of, of John 1 again, that through him all things that have been created were created. So, I mean, the, the, another Christmas—I mean, that's, that's quite something, isn't it? That that baby lying in the manger— that's the one through whom the universe was created, and now he's joined his creation in the flesh. That's, I mean, at least for me, that's one of the wonders of Christmas. Yes, it is a wonder, and and faith faith believes that. If we're using our eyes and our senses to look at the baby and figure that out, we just won't do it. But faith believes in what God is saying that this this child is an heir of all things, and it is through this child that all things have been created. So. You know, when it says here, you know, I'm, I'm reading from the New King James, um, through whom also he made the worlds, and there are other passages that talk about the same thing, Christ being always there, he was there in the beginning when the heavens and the earth were made. Um, here's the doctrine of creation, right, too, that God is the maker of all things, and so for even on Christmas Day we are hearing about things coming into being through Christ, uh, he is the Alpha and Omega, everlasting to everlasting, all those things which are good for us to hear, especially in an age that wants to deny God as as maker, God as creator, or in an age where people want to talk about Jesus as being created, which is an Arian slash Jehovah's Witness heresy. We want to stay away from it. He's a created being. We're here clearly that's that's not the case. He was there at the beginning, and it's through whom through whom creation comes into being. He's not a part of creation. Now, this same Son, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Sounds like much more, again, the the Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews is, is upholding Christ's divinity with this verse. Yes, um, he is. And when it, the express image of his, of his nature... My 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 Bible says person here, but that that Greek term, that Greek term is is a biggie, uh, hupostasis, and there's a lot of writings on it. But I do think I, I think uh, nature or substance is going to be a, a good translation of this right here. Uh, usually, when we talk about the person of Jesus, uh, we're talking about his divine and his human nature, and even how those natures. Um, uh, communicate the attributes to one another, and there's a lot of theology on that. Uh, this verse is again highlighting his divinity. That if you want, if you want the Father, you have to believe in the Son. And I think John has a lot to say on this. Where in the Gospel of John, I mean, perhaps of all the Gospels, and this is just my opinion here, but the person of Jesus is articulated, uh, perhaps. Uh, most clearly, and again, that's just my opinion, but there are just some real crystal statements in John where Jesus is describing and confessing who he is. Uh, and what I'm thinking of here is when he tells people, you know, no one goes to the Father except through the Son, or I and the Father are one. Uh, you know, passages such as those that, that bring to the fore 
this 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 um this truth that here standing before you is not just another prophet but this is this is Emmanuel this is God having come in the flesh and you you can't have it you can't have it your way where you think I can believe in the Father or I can believe in God and deny the Christ when Jesus Christ is the expressed image of the nature of God and therefore he cannot be denied without denying God himself so I mean what this is amazing Pastor Grotto it's this text because I feel like we we could take this text and study any number of these, just one of these points of doctrine that we're talking about. I mean, we could spend the whole time, and I think our focus is going to be on the two natures in Christ, given the context of Christmas. But we could look at this text and, and spend all the time on the doctrine of creation and preservation that we, we've been talking about already, you know, that through whom God created the whole world. And now we hear that he upholds the the universe by a word of his power. So it's, it's not just that the Lord has created all things, but it, it's that he sustains all things. So I think we could, we could, you know, we could take the whole episode and go that way. We could also take the whole episode, and I, I think we need to, to go more this direction because of, of Christmas particularly. But but now the writer of the Hebrew says, after making purification for sins, and then he, 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 he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So here we've also got not only Christ, his incarnation, his birth, but now the writer's inviting us to consider his satisfaction, his suffering and death, and then into his resurrection and ascension. So, I mean, Help us tie all these things together. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> it is a it is a very rich passage. Okay, but on Christmas Day, the baby Jesus, the Jesus who was born in a stable and place in a manger. You know, we know how the story goes, and so we, we're always looking backwards on these events. Uh, and 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 for us, there there really is no um, you know hard corner meaning. Well, you know what's going to happen next. Well, we know. But I, and I'm not sure. I know that that's not a mistake, and that's good to do to do to look at Jesus and know this baby is sent for an express purpose. That this Jesus is going to do what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's going to make purification for sins. He's placed in a manger, but down the road he's going to be, he's going to be placed in a tomb. He's wrapped in swaddling cloths now, but you know down the road he'll be wrapped in, in uh, cloths and he'll be placed in a tomb. You know those connections are not difficult to make, and and we should make them. Because the, the birth, this, this child is sent for a purpose, and that purpose is to save humanity. And he's going to do it by crucifixion. He's going to make purification for sins, but he's not going to stay in the tomb. He's going to rise, and he's going to ascend to the Father's right hand, where he lives and reigns to all eternity. So, you know, by, by, by lumping all of these, these events together, you know, the writer of Hebrews is just really... You know, pushing his foot on the gas pedal all the way down and testifying about who this Jesus is. Again, this is true God in the flesh, here for us, and, and this is what he does. I mean, let's not forget his work. I, I recall Paul in 1 Corinthians 2 when he says, I desire to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. It is you know, impossible to look at this child, and still not think about the crucifixion, what he's going to accomplish, what he is sent for, which is to go to Jerusalem, where he will be put on trial, suffer, die, but rise and ascend. Uh, you know, all that is part, all that is, is uh, detailing the life and work of Jesus here in these few verses. And, I mean, there's like an episode on each event, right? And that's one of the challenges of talking about a text like this in a short amount of time, 
there's so much here. But on Christmas Day, you know, it's okay uh, to to um, reflect, contemplate, and even be in awe of all that is going to accomplish that this child has come into come into this world. Yeah, and I mean, it 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 starts with that. Well, I mean, it starts with the incarnation, I suppose, on March twenty fifth. But, but in I mean, you you got that baby, and that I mean, what a what a wonderful thing that this baby and in this scene that the night before was full of excitement, but also full of humility. You know, I mean, a a child laid in a manger. This is not the ideal birth story that that your wife wants when when you give birth to your first child. But that's where where Mary gave birth to Jesus, and yet this child, born in that humility. The writer to the Hebrews says, this is who he is. He is God Almighty, who created and sustains all things, who has died for you, and now who reigns over all things. And there's, I mean, there's the ascension. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Just briefly, Pastor Ergoadowitz, tell us a little bit about what that means, because I'm I'm convinced that the ascension and then the session of our Lord is one of the most neglected parts of our of, of Christ's story, and we really need to to remember why it's so important. So give us maybe like two minutes this morning. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, I share a similar sentiment in that after Easter, it is it is easy just to kind of oh we we've made it through Easter and just overlook the ascension, but we shouldn't. That's important. The Lord ascends to the Father's right hand. I mean, he takes the position that's properly uh, that, that's that's properly given to him that the Lord has said that would be his. So he ascends, sits at the Father's right hand, and it's crucial that we look at the Father's right hand as a position of power and authority. It's not this physical location uh, to which Jesus is confined, but it's a place of exaltation and, you know, as I mentioned, authority, even power, where he rules and reigns without restriction or limitation. So that's what we're, we're hearing right here. And, you know, this is important, especially in light of the crucifixion, where we, we're hearing about his death and just the blood and gore surrounding that, and, and especially how that just, to the senses, is this big defeat and let down. The man who we thought was going to save us is now the man hanging on the cross and dying. Well, just hold on a second. The story turns out differently. He's going to take what's his, uh, the Father fulfills the promise to the Son, and He will rise, and His throne is extended forever. Uh, I think, too, that's something else when you look at all the prophecies pointing to His throne enduring forever, and there's more than one, and we'll look at some of them, uh, at least one of them here. You know, That prophecy is fulfilled. His throne is going to endure forever. He is going to rule forever, and the crucifixion is not going to get in the way. So what we should look at in the Ascension is Jesus once again fulfilling that prophecy testifying that he is going to rule forever and and not even death is going to keep him from doing that so then beginning at verse 4 it seems that the writer of the hebrews now i don't know he doesn't shift focus but he he moves his focus toward this is who he's set up this is who the son of god is and and what he's done and now he's going to spend the rest of our text today saying he's he's more important he's superior to the angels can you just i mean Again, we're going to look at several scripture passages here, but just what what's the point of what happens in verses four through twelve, and this this argument that Jesus is more superior to the than the angels? At first, it rules out any confusion that the angels are somehow higher, and you know, back to this idea that Jesus might be just some created being. You know, and at least in my mind, if I heard that, 
I wouldn't want to put him on the same level as Angels if I heard he was like just a created person kind of like me. So it does make a distinction there between the angelic beings that Jesus is higher than them. But these Old Testament references that are brought up when making this point, that's also extremely interesting because we see a point that I made earlier, which is the Old Testament testifies and points to Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews, the way he uses these Old Testament passages is astounding. He's kind of all over the place. Um, he, he does quote multiple times from the Psalms, but he's also going to quote from Second Samuel. There's a little bit of Deuteronomy 32 in here. So, uh, again, we read the Old Testament. To say and to see the Old Testament pointing to Jesus is not out of line at all. The writer of Hebrews sees the same thing as he makes this distinction between Jesus and the angels that we, uh, we want to bear in mind. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the writer to the Hebrews is a master at reading the Old Testament in light of Christ. We, we looked at that text from... Hebrews 10 earlier in this series, and he pulls out a section of Psalm 40 that, that's about Jesus. And, and maybe when you read Psalm 40, and you're like, wait a second, that's about Jesus? And the writer of Hebrews you know, shows you with crystal clear focus that it is. And he does so the same way here. So let's, uh, we've got about oh, 10 and a half minutes here, Pastor Agrado, It's to, to kind of at least get a feel for what's going on. So in, in verse 5, well, what are, you mentioned Psalm 2, help us with the Bible references here that he, that he pulls right, out. Right, okay. Sure. So, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Well, that's a reference from Psalm 2, verse 7. So, if you go back and you read Psalm 2, verse 7, you might be inclined to think perhaps this is a reference to David or something like that. But we know from the writer of Hebrews that this is a testimony, this is a verse pointing to Jesus. So, that's where the first reference comes from. The second one that I think is, is terribly interesting, too, is from 2 Samuel seven fourteen. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Now, the immediate contextual interpretation of 2 Samuel 7 uh, is that this is Solomon, that Solomon is the one who's going to carry on the throne of David. But we now know here, and even I would argue from 2 Samuel 7, there's, more, there's, there's a lot more to it. Solomon will come, but Solomon will go. And Israel really has a rocky just really sad history after his death, the king divides and so forth. But even in Second Samuel 7, um, we know the throne is going to extend forever. And uh, Dalich, he's a, a rather popular Old Testament scholar, at least in Lutheran circles, you know, he will say, really, this is fulfilled in the person of Jesus, uh, th- that the throne goes on forever, meaning it's not going to end. And that's what we're seeing here in Hebrews, as the writer references this to our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, And then we get into verse 6. Again, brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. Uh, This one is a little, I don't want to say tricky, maybe more complex in how he uses the Old Testament scriptures, uh, because what he's doing, the, the theology here is from Deuteronomy 32, 43. But when you go to Deuteronomy 32, 43, there is a little insert in the Greek version of this called the Septuagint, which reads, Worship him all sons of God, which isn't angels of God. But when you bounce over to Psalm 97, there you see in the English, anyone can do this, Worship him all you gods. Um, and the Hebrew supports that. But the Greek Septuagint there says, Worship him all his angels. So he is pulling from the Septuagint, and, you know, theologically, all these verses make complete sense, that all creation is to worship him, even godlike angels 
are to look unto him as the one who rules and reigns over the cosmos. Okay. So that's through verse 6. Uh, I want to pause, though. Do you have any comments or questions on just those few Bible references? Just briefly on verse 6, given the context of Christmas, let all God's angels worship him. I think you see another another connection there to the Luke 2 passage that you hear on Christmas Eve, that, I mean, who's this child in the manger? He's the one who deserves all worship, even the worship of the angels. And again, the point, he's God. Right, of course. You know, and I spent a lot of time looking at the Septuagint, looking at the Hebrew, going to the passages, having a great time. And then I just really felt dumb, because I look at this passage and thought, wait a second, this has to be the angels proclaiming and rejoicing amongst the shepherds, right? I mean, how could you miss that on Christmas Day? And so for any reader, if that's all they get out of that passage, boy, they're doing great, right. right? The angels rejoicing the company, the heavenly host, at the birth of this of this child. And wow, I mean, I can't help but think that's what the writer has on his mind. Sure, sure. And, and especially when we read it on Christmas. So again, Pastor Gratis, we're about six and a half minutes now. Help us. Probably don't have time to do every single detail of the all the quotations, but, but give us a, a pretty good sense of what's going on in, in the rest of the text. Sure. Well, he continues in verse 7, all right? He, he talks about angels and what they do, being spirits and flames of fire. But then in verse 8, this is a reference from Psalm 45, but to the Son, so contrary from the, or distinct from the angels, we hear about his throne, it's forever and ever. That ties into the ascension and the, the fulfillment of prophecy here at Psalm 45. 2 Samuel 7 was another one we looked at, this idea of God's reign, of uh, the Son ruling forever. His scepter of, is of righteousness, that God hates lawlessness. I mean, just a word study on the word lawlessness will, will yield so many passages in the Bible. But God is a God of righteousness, and he rules with righteousness, uh, you know, with um, um, level, levelness, equity. All his judgments are true, right, and always spot on on the mark. Uh, this idea of Christ being anointed, of course, Meshach means anointed. Um, for the Greek, uh, Christus means christened or anointed. So uh, Christ is uh, also, uh, you know, he, he is sent by God, anointed to do the work of, of, of ultimately dying on the cross and, and making purification for sins. And I think, too, about, you know, at least this came to my mind, about the woman and the alabaster flask of ointment, and how she, uh, she, she spends this expensive perfume on Jesus, and the disciples grumble about it. I mean, surely our hearers remember that text, and Jesus mentions her, that her memory will go on, and what she's doing is anointing him for burial. I'm paraphrasing that narrative, but when I hear anointing and think about Jesus, I do think about him being anointed for burial. Um, I, I don't you know, I don't, I don't think I would take this text here in Hebrews and say it is specifically only about that, but it has to include that, I think, because, again, when I hear about Jesus being anointed, that text comes to mind from the Gospels, and, of course, a preparation for burial. But then we get 10 through 12, and I think this, this will uh, wrap up the text, and then we can talk questions or whatever. Um, the Lord laid the foundation of the earth, Heavens and the earth are his hands. Again, doctrine of creation. Extremely important point in this day and age of people who want to overlook Genesis and overlook or just flat out deny God's hand at creating things. You can't do that 
without jeopardizing the entire Bible. You can't say, I don't believe in Genesis because I have problems with creation, but everything else. It doesn't work that way. Creation is a doctrine that is woven in the fabric of the biblical text. It really is all over the place. Now, it talks about heavens and earth perishing. Um, and the word right there, the Greek term, apoluomai, does mean to destroy. And the Hebrew, too, has the word avah that also means to destroy or destruction. Um, but then a little down in verse 12, it talks about like a cloak. You will fold them up, and they will be changed. There is some debate, even in Lutheran circles, and has been at least since the Reformation uh, era, over you know, will creation be annihilated, called annihilationism, or will it be transformed? And there's certainly passages that go kind of both directions. You know, I, I do think the transformation is consistent theologically, without all the scripture, that God is going to, when he comes again, all things will be transformed and changed, and creation will be pristine when the new heavens and the new earth are inaugurated, brought to being by our Lord. So another passage really, you know, putting before us that God, he has the whole world in his hands. It is filled with sin, it is rotting and decaying, but when he comes again at the new heavens and the new earth, all things will be made new, everything really will be right. But ultimately this is because of Christ, who has made us new creations, he has redeemed creation already by his blood. We're just waiting to experience that when our Lord comes again. What what a what a rich text, Pastor Gradowitz, because as you finished us up there, I mean, we we've really talked about the whole scope of history, all the way from creation to the new creation. So I mean, what a what a rich text for for our study this morning and for Christmas Day. With just this last minute, help us to wrap things up. Give us the goods here from Hebrews one that point us to our Savior born for us at Christmas, Jesus. We needn't worry or be afraid this busy Christmas season. There's a lot going on. There's a lot to think about. There's a lot that takes our attention away from where it should be. But on this this Christmas day, this time we are reflecting upon our Savior. You know, let's remember who this Savior is. He rules the cosmos. He knows what's going on, and he has made purification for sin. So all of your sins that you have committed this past year and will continue to commit, the sins in your heart, the sins that, that, that even keep you up at night, hey, you are forgiven. His blood has done it. He has paid the price. Fear not. The guilt is taken away. You are absolved and pronounced clean in him. He's purified you. You belong to him. You are his child. And that he rules the cosmos and that he is, you know, governing all things. You know, a passage that I was kind of looking up here earlier, we heard, we heard about him being an heir. And I mentioned that we are co-heirs or joint heirs with him. You know, one passage that supports that would be Romans 8.17. If we are his children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So that's our hope, and that's what we had to look forward to. And Hebrews 1 um, does a marvelous job of teaching us that still uh, to this very day. Pastor Ryan Agradowitz is Associate Pastor and Headmaster at Grace Lutheran Church and School in Brenham, Texas, helping us today with Hebrews 1, verses 1 to 12. Pastor Agradowitz, thanks for being our guest today. Hey, thanks for having me, Pastor Apple. A pleasure as always. 
I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for taking this journey through the Advent and Christmas epistles with us. Sharper Iron will be taking a break with KFUO from regular programming from now until January 7th. On that day, we will be starting a new series on the gospel according to St. Luke. Have a very Merry Christmas, a blessed New Year. Talk to you in 2022.